Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Justin Hume. He is the Uranium Insider newsletter writer. You can also catch him on Twitter at Uranium Insider. We discuss investing in the uranium space at the moment, the macro components. We discuss management, finance, asset, and promotion, and where he obtains his information from with which he makes his investment decisions. Hey, Justin, how are you? Doing really well, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, well, no, good, good to have you um, on the show. We've been liaising a bit via email, via Twitter, social media. Yeah. So how long have you been in the uranium space? Investing since 2017 in uranium. I've um, okay. been looking at the sector since 2016. Right. And why did you choose uranium? It, it came to me through a podcast, actually. Um, I think it was uh, Frank Curzio's Wall Street Unplugged. And right. Jordan Trimble from Sky Harbor was the guest. Right. This was uh, sometime in 2016. And uh, up to that point, I was primarily a uh, like a momentum trader and trend following trader. Right. And they started talking about this absolutely destroyed sector and, uh, you know, how the price has to go up because, you know, nobody can make money at these prices, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the just the, the, the contrarian thing was sort of new to me at that point. And it's, it struck a nerve. There was something very attractive about it to me. There's something very low stress. And uh, there was something that I liked about um, just being early and being okay with being early. Yeah. And, uh, and I just really, I really enjoyed the fundamental aspect of it as well, coming from more of a, of a technical background. Right. Um, okay. And so I, I, towards the, I mean, I still do technical trading. I still have, I have separate accounts that I do some, momentum trend following, you know, options trading. And then I've got this other bucket where I do this contrarian slow ad wait forever kind of account. Right. Um, Which this definitely falls so, into, right? Because because you, yeah. you, you got it in 2017, bit of an echo in 2018, same again, 2019. You got so great seems, hopes for 2020. I do actually. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have really good hopes for 2020 for uranium. Why do you say that? Yeah. Well, we have all of the elements of the of the fuel cycle are moving up, which is interesting. Right. Um, and I was I was not so aware of the back end of the fuel cycle when I first started looking into uranium. Right. It was more just uh, the spot price and the equities. And you know, late 2016, early 2017, there was a pretty big spike that got a lot of people's interest in the in the sector, and then it of course faded. Yeah. Um, so why I feel confident 2020 as kind of a uh, a, a year where we have some kind of confirmation of the beginnings of, let's say, the bull market for the equities, because we already have the fuel cycle moving. And we didn't have that 2016, 2017. So we had spot, you know, doing this sort of thing for a few years, years in a row, mm -hmm. just kind of on this cyclicality and uh, or seasonality. And uh, but the back end of the fuel cycle was still falling. Right. So where, where do yeah. you, can I just got to ask, because like we're having a conversation, I'm an investor, you're an investor, we, you know, we have similar thoughts, we have different thoughts, like like lots of people listening to this show, right? Um, where do you get your information from? I get it from people just sharing it with me all mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just because of the name that I chose on Twitter, I don't know. But I have, you know, there's a few dozen people that are pretty incredibly knowledgeable um, experienced investors and about the sector 
um, people that work in the industry. Um, so I get a lot of information coming to me just naturally, which is which is. So really what's that nice. mean? So lots of people yeah. in the industry. Are you talking about mm-hmm. investment sector, uranium sector? We're we talking firms. We're we talking utilities, CEOs. I mean, who, who specifically do you get information from? Mostly on the investing side of things, but there's you know as you probably know, there's a handful of people that are just incredibly knowledgeable, super geeky about uranium. I, whatever it is, there's kind of almost an obsession. Yeah. Um, maybe it has to do with how that performed in the last cycle um, that has people's interest in expecting something similar in the next cycle. Right. So it's mainly investors, but there's there's a couple of folks that are actually industry people that I that I talk to about just trying to understand the metrics of the fuel cycle as well. Okay, interesting. But besides people sharing with me, I would say just my own research through um, <clears throat> um, through Twitter, uh, just Google and YouTube. I just read constantly. Um, you know, if you if you have the interest and the drive to seek out the information that's out there, you just have to be willing to read a lot of boring information. Yeah, <laughs> but, well, <laughs> but you know that's an interesting point, right? So, like we we, we yeah. talked about a week or so ago, just kind of prep up for for you know speaking today, and we talked about the the, the way that investors engage with things they're about to spend a lot of money on or, you know, whatever money they're going to invest in, in commodities. But right. not all of them necessarily want to read the boring stuff or get into doing the homework or the background track. And that's what I'm asking you, you know, yeah. you know, how much work goes into making a decision or are you just going to listen to what your buddy said and you'll 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 blindly follow him? I, I, I guess which, I think which that's what a lot of people into, do. But, yeah. That, yeah. But why? That's what a lot of people do. Uh, I've done it myself. You know, um, the problem with that is that if you don't have enough confidence in either the position or the movement of the sector or whatever it might be, it's really hard to know how to trade that trade that position. Mm. It's really difficult to know what to do, whether to add, whether to sell when it's falling, to hold through it. You know when to sell all of these things it's impossible to know if somebody says hey i like this stock you should buy it and you do it it's like what's the plan after that you know the, the only way to really have a plan is to is to have a better understanding so um i i think that that's been helpful for me personally as an investor is the more that i understand really what's going on behind the scenes with the sector and the fuel cycle and the supply demand and all that stuff the easier it is for me to to invest um because I, I have a longer term picture. I kind of understand, I know what to look for. Um, and I feel like I know uh, what would cause me to want to get out and to and to actual doubt the thesis. And thus far, there's always been, been a lot of chop and uh, the sector has been hurting. So, uh, but for me, just seeing the way that the equities are moving or even the spot price, knowing what's going on in the background here, nothing has changed for me. In fact, it just keeps getting more bullish let's say for the mid to long term well, it's, it's super it, important to, yeah it's got it's research. got to get bullish right it's got to get bullish justin yeah you know, yeah come on yeah you've been in since 2017 18 19 you know I, i'm thinking during that time you know the investments so you know we've we've made in um pharmaceutical in cannabis in bitcoin these things have gone up five six times so the yeah. kind of lost opportunity cost sitting yeah. in uranium has been painful so it's gotta move yeah. now hasn't it well it doesn't have to move because it's been painful i mean <laughs> necessarily no but emotionally uh, we're talking we're talking about you know the you know again this conversation we had before it's about yeah. that emotional connection that investor you know and investors are very passionate 
some very yeah. knowledgeable. Um, and they should be. It's their money. It's their money, they've, their hard-earned money or money they've been given or inherited or however they've got this money. It's their money. So there's a lot of emotional commitment when investing. And you see this in chat rooms, right? You, you, people go crazy. Mm. And they go crazy with each other and sometimes not in a very nice way because they can't right. afford to be wrong. And I guess that's the point I'm getting at. It's like right. you reach yeah. the point where you can't admit or you can't afford to be wrong. But what's it, what's it for you? You've been in it three years. You, 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 must, you must feel strongly to still be in it as a contrarian. Right. Yeah, you make some good points. Um, I, think, I think that uh, if... It's a tough one because if you if you have any doubts about the investment, then you probably don't want to invest a whole lot of money, you know, a smaller percentage of your overall portfolio. And that's one reason why I, I like having these, you know, separate accounts. And even within like the contrarian thing, it's not a hundred percent uranium. You know, the separate account is more of a fundamental long game. Yeah. You know, there's a number of other sectors that are that are looking quite promising right now. I think amongst those let's say commodities and metals, energy. Um, I think uranium over a certain time frame is probably going to be the biggest winner. So I have the most amount of my contrarian allocation in uranium. But I also have this thing over here and it kind of keeps me busy and it allows me to have some exposure to momentum and trend following. Which yeah. so, so just because you like the idea of an investment doesn't mean you want to put all your money into it and just cross your fingers. Important point you make. Yeah. Again, we, we yeah. get a lot of direct communication from people saying, you know, do you want to manage or can you manage my money? Or, you know, can you, where should I right. be investing? And I, we're, we're not going to give that advice. But I guess the most upsetting one that we receive is like, I've put all my money into this company and it's not working. And yeah. I don't know why. And it's like, one, I, you know, obviously you're going to feel sorry if that is the case. Um, but two... You gotta to say to other people that you never put all your eggs in one basket because it doesn't yeah. always work out. There's so many things that go wrong in mining. In the case of uranium, you're never quite sure when it's gonna work, right? So yeah, yeah. The the the, the short term timing obviously is very difficult. Um, I think the long term, the writing's on the wall. But uh, I think investing any money in this sector, expecting a certain return by a certain date, is a fool's errand. Absolutely. So it's I think patient capital only for uranium. Absolutely. In my opinion. Absolutely. But, now, you said something that, so I don't want to get into the macro story today because I think that's right. well, you and I are both guilty. We, we have told the macro story a few times and everyone's telling the macro story because right now there's not a lot of news on the streets, right? Not a lot coming out of DC. There's no mm -hmm. nuclear fuels working group announcements anytime soon that I can see. There's a lot of distractions out there right. for, for that. So right. let, why don't we deliberately stay away from that. I'm going to say that, but of course we'll probably come tumbling and tripping over it later. But for now, can we just talk about something that you said earlier, which was, you know, if you don't like what you see in a company, then perhaps you shouldn't invest in it. So how do you determine what you like about a company that you're going to invest in? You know, what are the fundamentals that you look for? Well, well, first and foremost, it's management. Um, and so, the, the first thing I looked for is, <clears throat> and, and continue to look for, is just quality management. And I, I look to see what they've done in the past. That's the first thing. Try to dig up as much as I can about, about their past, past companies they've run, 
how were shareholders treated in those uh, in, during those companies? How, what were the returns like for shareholders? What are their ma major accomplishments? Try to dig up some dirt, <clears throat> see what you can find, see what you can fault. Um, a quality manager can really make a, a mediocre asset in a company that's not necessarily sitting in an all too great position and really make the best of that situation. Um, so that's, that's number one. And part of that would be um, insider ownership, especially with juniors. So when you get into you know, multi-billion dollar companies, you're not going to expect the CEO to own 25% of the company necessarily. But when a junior is worth five, 10, 15, $20 million, um, you at least want to see some pretty substantial in insider ownership. You know, I would say like a minimum I look for is 10% and the more, the better. Mm. You know, when these companies are so small, um, especially with these juniors that aren't producing cash flow, the only way that they're raising money is through private placements, through equity raises. And every time they do that, you as a shareholder or the management as a shareholder is getting diluted. Uh, so they're not going to want to do that to themselves excessively if they own a big chunk. So higher insider ownership, um, I prefer to higher salary. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, some compensation is needed for essentially everyone to live and to live well. And there's no problem with that. But if you have a good chunk of this company and you're paying yourself a, a respectable wage that it isn't insulting if your stock price is falling and the shareholders are getting crushed, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. So insider ownership, competence, past accomplishments, uh, those are like kind of the big three. And by that you mean, past accomplishments, you mean have they made money for shareholders before? Uh, to have they created value in, in, in some way, meaningful shape or form, right? So they know what they're doing. Right, exactly. Okay. And with, with uranium as well, any uranium specific accomplishments from the last cycle is, is a huge bonus. I uh, 100% agree with you on that one. I mean, it's something that we, um, we're, we're, <clears throat> we talked about a lot after the last WNA in London. Um, you know, I think it was one of our three things, which was, you know, have you got a team who've been there and done it before? Because there's mining risk and then there's uranium mining risk, which is, you know, I don't want people learning on my dime, as it were. You know, do you know what you're doing with regards to getting uranium out of the ground, into market, selling it, and how to how to, and how to get it to where you need it to go? Because again, you know, we spoke to a, a CEO who had no idea how to get it from his facility to port and on to, you know, the, the, where, the, where the bar was. And that worries me. Because there's a real, there's a, there's a cost, there's a security, there's sure. all of those sorts of things which um, you know make you know have a huge impact. So no, I, I I totally agree with that. If you haven't done it before, I'm a little bit nervous. Yeah, I I, I completely agree there. Um, you know, a lot of this this type of deeper fundamental analysis of the individual companies I think is crucial, especially at the like at the bottom or in a declining market, which. Mm. This year, you know, most equities have been selling off. Um, when everything's moving up, I mean, if you look historically at the last cycle, <clears throat> obviously the biggest winners were the small cap companies that ended up either nearing production or going into production during the rising price environment. So mm -hmm. if you were in those companies, you did extremely well. But everything went up at the same time. Yeah. And in a rising price environment, it's so much easier for the capital to be raised and the dilution is less of an issue. Yeah. But as if you're trying to position yourself at the bottom, as we are now, you really got to look at this stuff, because if 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 you've been waiting for three years and you've been diluted 50 percent, 60 percent, 
in three years, like that, that's a bummer. And you really want to know why that happened and where that money went, you know, and you got to look at that stuff. Yeah. I, I, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, like I said, and this happens not just uranium, but across across the board. But um, no, I hear what you're saying. I mean, what are the what are the other things that you're looking at? I mean, for, for me, management, asset, finance, and the ability to promote seems are the kind of four, four pillars that we hone in on. So, with regards to like the asset, what type of assets are you looking for? Are you, is is scale important to you? Is grade important to you? Geography? You know, what are the things you're looking for? For me, the asset is uh, is is less important than mm-hmm. those than the than the management for sure. Agreed. Um, but when it comes to the asset, um, I really like the companies that have this thing that they can get into production relatively quickly mm-hmm. with reasonable capex, even if it's a small amount that can create some cash flow. Right. And then they've got this thing that's like three to five plus years out, that's going to take a little bit more capex, but it's a larger, a larger asset. So I, I, I like that my favorite juniors are the ones that can bring something on within this rising price environment mm-hmm. that we're all expecting. Right. But they also have this other thing that if we end up in a, like a five to 10 year slow grind up, they could just absolutely crush it with bringing this further bigger asset online. So who are we talking so about there? production with who some talk- cash flow. So who's that? Yeah. Give me give me some names. Oh gosh. Let's see. Laramide. Uh, apparently. Laramide. Yeah, Laramide's got a good uh, ISR asset in New Mexico. Mm. They have all their permits except for their groundwater permit, which yeah. they're supposedly working on. So they're we've got I think it's thirty million capex to get to you know to build an ISR facility and get right. their first things going. Get a million pounds a year. Yeah, yeah. Within, well, who knows how quickly they can say? I mean, they say they can get it on pretty within a couple of years. That's why I say apparently uh, with all of these guys. So, exactly. so who else are we exactly. thinking? Who else are we thinking? Um, uh, uh, Encore Energy has some has some uh, r- small assets in Utah that are six to twelve months to permit and get going. And they got Energy Fuels as a shareholder, so they're they likely have some toll milling there, and it's only a few million pounds, but. Mm-hmm they can get some cash flowing and get into their next things. And they've got good ISR assets in New yeah. Mexico and, right. and some back pocket assets in Arizona. Um, so that's another one that I like for that. Um, Global Atomic is looking pretty promising with the potential to be in production. Um, I'm not super ecstatic about their management team um, with some kind of somewhat sketchy history and moves that they've done in the past, mm. but that project is pretty phenomenal. Well, plus, plus, plus we've interviewed them, and plus a bit of revenue also from the zinc operations in right. Tur- Turkey, exactly. obviously. Huge and de-risking I, to have cash flow. Yeah, <laughs> but I like your, I like the model that you, you know, you, you've just talked about, and I've seen, we've seen that in gold, and we, you know, we've got three companies, uh, gold companies, which employ that model, where they kind of get, you know, early into production with a small resource, um, right. with the ability to use those cash flows to develop out the resource further, but they're. they're the show they're proving the the model works as it were, so yeah, I'd, right. no, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. I, I, I kind of I kind of like that. I think there's some other attractive models too, but that's that's one that we yeah. are drawn there's, to. And then there's the companies with care and maintenance minds as well. So you've got Paladin with Langer Heinrich, and you've got Boss yeah. with Honeymoon, and yeah, Cameco, Crosley River, yeah, know, that in theory can get all those projects back online when the price justifies it. Well, yeah, so that's, that's, correctly. Let's, let's, yeah, we're getting close to that macro line again 
<laughs> I mean, it'd be hard to avoid. <laughs> well, let's try. Let's try. So, and the, the other, the other bit, uh, one of, like finance. Okay, so finance. So, if companies have got cash now, clearly they're going to uh, gives them more optionality. You know, gives them yep. decisions which they they're in control of versus decisions which they're out of control of. So, they can either hunker down a bit. And we've had lots of conversations with juniors talking about that as a as an option and others who say hey if we don't get ourselves going now we're gonna you know miss some of the opportunities during this cycle um yeah you know i think you've got to make a call where they believe the management team are doing it for for um the reasons that best suit the asset or best suit their bank balance you know we we quite often think the latter um you can never never go wrong if you if you're if you're uh, cynical. I think uh, with investing, <laughs> um, but you know, and yeah. we, we 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 spoke to actually we did we just spoke to one before you know we spoke with you, which was um, energy fuels sitting on you know forty odd million bucks of of capital available to them in one form or another, and that you know they've they've got a burn rate obviously which is larger than most, but because they've got a lot of moving parts, but. Um, it's certainly it's giving them options where you know perhaps others would 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 welcome that amount of cash in, in their bank. And then they are, likewise, we're also seeing you know companies who are having to raise money at even more depressed rates now. You know, we've spoken to a few of those recently, and it's 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 not a mm. nice place to be. You know, you know, and I, I don't wish it upon anyone. No. Um, yeah. But the decision making gets impaired. In those scenarios, I think that's my point, and that's not necessarily good. Not just because of, um, you know, it's dilutive, but the decision making gets impaired. It's not necessarily the right thing for the for the company to do, let alone because of the finances. So the order of play changes. So I think those are things that I would encourage people to look at and question more. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. For sure. And then you, so you mentioned a couple of names there already. I mean, who are the guys are promoting? Quite well for you. You know, who's, who's gather telling a good story, whether or not it's a good story. Who, who's who do you think's telling a good story? I think Vimy is telling a pretty good story. Hmm. I think yeah, Mike is getting himself out there pretty well, and they've got a really really nice slide deck presentation. I think they're yeah. they're, they're telling their story pretty well. Um, I think Next Gen Vision, kind of the big Athabasca boys, are doing a pretty good job of telling their stories. But you, I've heard you say you're not a fan of. Next gen. Um, it's not for me personally, right. but I. It's not a Why? suggestion again. Why? Yeah. Um, because I'm just more interested in the juniors. I'm looking for upside potential based on my risk tolerance mm. and my age and the capital that I'm I'm investing. Yeah. Um, I'm looking for I'm looking for fifty baggers. Uh, you know, and you got next gen. Do they exist? They've already made. Why? 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 Oh, yeah. Okay, you, you, you said it earlier. Absolutely. You said it again. You said it again. So I've got to, got to go for it, right? <laughs> Ten baggers, thirty baggers, fifty baggers. Is the uranium cycle what? What makes you or leads you to believe this cycle is going to replicate the last cycle, given that the players know how the last one played out? Are they going to let that happen again? Is who going to let what happen? Well, like okay, so like okay, Cam Cam Cameco and yeah. uh, Atom Prom, for instance. You know, do they want five hundred players? There were five hundred uranium players in the last right. cycle because people just right. lost their minds and they were funding anything that had the word uranium in there. Okay, 
and it came back down to about we've got about 50 right now okay so as soon as you know if i look at reports like you know red cloud's recent report i'm not saying they are the arbiters of everything uranium because i think it was, it was written by a precious metal analyst but you know they're using the uxc data and you know the price recovery is really flat okay i think you know i'm, I'm looking at something on my table it says by 2021 it might hit 30 bucks do you believe that I think 30, 30 to 35 is uh, conservative for By 2021. So you've got another 12 months of between 26 or 25 and 30 bucks. That, that's what you right. think, right? Okay. Well, that would be the spot price, I imagine, you're talking. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. means the term price is probably in the 40s, Still, which doesn't, at that point. Doesn't move the dial for people, does it? It doesn't move. Well, it moves the dial for the people that need the dial moved, uh, Cameco, for right. one. Okay, but it yeah. stops new entrants coming in, right? It's it's not encouraging. People can't get financed at forty bucks. That's contract. Okay, new entrants. You're assuming they can get into production and sell into utilities who are going to be slightly nervous of new entrants. All of those right. macro things we said we wouldn't talk about. Um, right. You know, how how did the equities markets recover when? Okay, we're looking at maybe it says here forty five bucks flatlining for spot for the next 10 years. What do you, what do you do with that? Well, I think that's that's an interesting I, I can't avoid the fundamentals at this point. I'm sorry, the macro. Um, <laughs> You're going. I'll be brief, I swear. I'll be okay. brief. Okay. <clears throat> so for for the producers, the current producers and care and maintenance, let's just say the big boys. So we've got MacArthur River, Chemicals MacArthur River and Kazadam Prom. Yeah. Those are the two that are going to make money and $45 contracts. Yeah. Okay, so then you have to think about how many pounds are we talking about and what is on offer from those two entities. It's really Orono as well because they've got JVs. So Orono, Cameco, because Adam Prom, mm -hmm. and we're talking about the contracting cycle. So that's sort of like, that's sort of the base thesis for me is we have this WNA fuel report graph that shows supply and demand doing this and that's in all three cases that's that's a big that's like the foundational okay it's clear in 2030 we're far short supply and demand without a drop in demand or some supply that has yet to be realized mm. i know you're you're i can see how uncomfortable you are getting back into this <laughs> macro i'll be quick all right i'll make it quick okay so we have by 2025 80 percent of the u.s utilities uncovered 40% of the European utilities uncovered. That's 160 reactors. Mm -hmm. We're talking five to 600 million pounds if, we're, if we say seven year contracts. Okay, this is all back of the napkin. We're just trying to paint a picture here. Okay, so Cigar is contracted out, 180 million pounds mm -hmm. spoken for. Mm -hmm. MacArthur River, about the same, 180 million pounds partially spoken for. Let's call it, let's just say 150 million available life of mine macarthur 45 bucks a pound and we've got kazadam problem producing potentially up to 60 million a year some of that is going to china india russia so even if we said 50 of that 60 million of kazadam problem is available for term contracts mm -hmm. and all of macarthur river 500 million pounds available over that seven year time frame for those contracts mm -hmm. where's the rest going to come from because past 2025, European utilities continue to fall off. So the US, 
even though we're already at 80% at that point, not even counting Canada, not even counting there's some reactors in China that are not, you know, just coming off of their own production. They're actually going to sign contracts. There's other utilities and, and reactors worldwide. So I'm not even counting everybody. So we have this chunk that's going to be available at that price, but we need we need twice that. No, I, I, I get all that. And like I say, you know, I, I, I do kind of get uncomfortable talking about the macro again because it's it, these are well trodden stats and data and phrases right. and okay and everyone's saying it we, we, we get it everyone gets it right it's coming right. not if when right yeah my issue with and you know what we're trying to do with our channel with crux investor is to help retail guys and family offices and high net worth not pick the wrong horse okay I think if things get as crazy as they did in the last cycle and I think there are control factors in here because I think funds don't want that happening again a lot of people a lot of big institutional guys got caught out we were we were one of them right got caught out um I think that you know the mark the markets don't want the crazy peak that we we we, we saw in the last cycle right. I think there will be a little bit more uh, decorum and a little bit more level-headedness I hope with the way that the pricing moves okay that, that's my hope and the reason I hope yeah. that is because I don't want people losing their shirts or their houses or you know by picking the wrong companies because out of those 500 companies 450 no longer exist there will have been moments when those companies were in existence where some people made some money but a hell of a lot yeah. more lost money and I think that's a problem and I think it's a problem which I, I don't want to see replicated so well agreed I want is conversations intelligent conversations people like yourself and, and, and other influencers to say look if you're gonna get if you believe the uranium thesis and there's a big macro story there which supports it we all get it we're all behind it 100% some of us have been some people have been in it longer than others but we're all on the same team now and we're riding in the same direction okay so that's that that's fine but when it does start to move how do you identify management teams who are going to lose you money, companies which are never going to get into production, right? Because they're just the economics just aren't there. The finances may not be there always. And um, how? What are the red flags? Okay. So people like you, and you know, looks like people, people like me, need to help the market understand what good looks like. And what not so good looks like, because it's a phrase which we, you know, been banging in the market was, you know, not all boats will float on a high tide this time around. I think that's just my our hypothesis. So you know, we we're steering away from some companies, and we're more drawn to others. And you know, coming back to the early conversation for me, I, I couldn't agree more. Do you sure. buy this management team's history track record of delivering in this space or not? Right. You know, does the asset fundamentally stack up in terms of grade, the economics and finances around it? And can they get this, this thing financed to production anytime soon to your model, which I, you know, I, I agree with. So that that's why I kind of, I don't want to yeah. bang the drum yeah, yeah. of the macro because everyone's doing sure. it. Um, sure. And I'm more interested in what you're thinking is when you're making your picks, because I read your newsletter, it's, it's a great newsletter. Um, Thank you. You've, you you pick out and identify certain things which which you like in each of those companies, but 
not everyone's going to do the gruesome amount of detail that you or I might do. So, you know, what would what would you say to that? What would you say to those people? If you're not going to do like you put it, the gruesome amount of detail, um, at least at least check off the boxes of the important stuff. So we've all already mentioned the management. One thing that didn't mention yet, really in detail, would be um, just how the, where the company's at financially and um, the history of, of raises and dilution. So how much cash do they have now? How much cash did they have 12 months ago? And where did that cash go? Um, is a good thing just to get, just to, just to see what have they been doing the past 12 to 24 months can kind of at least help you to frame what they might be doing in the next 12 to 24 months. <clears throat> of course, if the price takes off, that could completely change. But if it doesn't for another 12 months and you're still sitting with that company, knowing knowing the recent history of their, uh, let's call it financial responsibility, yeah. is something that I like to look at. So <clears throat> um, there's one company I hold um, that has <clears throat> uh, shareholders for the past two years have been diluted by 50%. That's a lot. But <clears throat> 80% of that money raised went into exploration. The GNA is very low. Mm. And the exploration actually proved out, uh, you know, a resource and uh, is working on a, on a PEA. And so I don't like it, <clears throat> but at least that money went into something that did bring some shareholder value. And so I think, when, so when I say GNA, general administrative salaries and all that, just the standard operating costs of a company. Mm. And so what I like to do is I like to <clears throat> look at the balance sheet and look at the cash position, look at the salaries. And then I like to look at uh, the raises that they've done over the past two years and look at the percentage of GNA compared to those raises. And so, and, and that's just, that's not to say that a higher GNA is necessarily a deal breaker. It just really depends on the project, but if it's an explorer, let's say, mm. and they've been drilling and they've hit some decent intersections and they're still trying to hit something big and they're raising money to drill. Um, and you look at their raises and they've raised, let's say $5 million in the past year and three and a half of it went to GNA. Mm. Just, yeah, you know, I mean, do I even need to say anything? No, <laughs> you don't. But you have to look at this stuff. You can't yeah. just look at the presentation and say, and they're, they're going, supply is falling, demand is growing, and we're doing all of this great stuff. Well, that's my point. You have to figure out. Like, that's my point. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah you just yeah. said it. You just said it. You said yeah. right, they're talking about, they're, they're spending the first half of the presentation talking about the macro. And you're yeah. like, you just said to me, no. Just that's a red flag for me. Talk to actually. me. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at their presentation in the first 15 pages are macro, it's not, I mean, it's not a deal breaker, but it, it makes me go, huh, <clears throat> Yeah. why wouldn't they immediately jump into their management yeah. history yeah. and just the, the stellar nature of their asset? You got it. I, I, so, I do think the same thing when I see that, not just uranium, but, you know, uh, rare earths yeah. or whatever they're trying to bang the drum for, which, um, you know. And I don't know why they do that, because, you know, if, if, if you're looking at a presentation of a uranium company, mm. you already have an idea about the thesis for the macro. Right. Like you're not just stumbling along surfing the Internet and come across, right. you know, right. come across next gen's presentation. It's just like you got to search for it and there's a reason you're looking for it. So you want to know about the company. 
And yeah. you can paint a little macro picture, of course, but. So, so I mean, see, this is getting interesting for me because the, the, these these are the red flags I'm talking about, helping people identify, okay? Now, sometimes they'll need to point it out and sometimes they need to, you know, look for these things. Um, how do you think, we've had a few conversations, interviewed a few companies recently, and they've been junior, the, the lower side of things. And you look at the director's remuneration, you know, not just salaries, not, you know, we're looking at bonuses and we're looking at warrants and options they apportion themselves and that to me is a real telltale sign so if i we we do a lot on the private sector side okay so if i'm backing of an entrepreneur who has started up a company they may be pre-revenue they may have a little bit of revenue but i'm looking at what they're paying themselves because it tells me how much they believe in their ability to succeed Public companies, what I see constantly is the default position is we're going to go public, we're going to raise a stack of money, we're going to pay ourselves four or five hundred thousand bucks plus warrants plus options. These are pre-revenue companies. If a share price goes up, we'll reward ourselves. If it goes down, that's not my problem. Okay, right. that, that's standard issue with juniors. I think you'd agree, right? So, yeah. how do you think directors should remunerate themselves reasonably? I mean, and, and based on and based on the performance of the company, um, I think is important. I think one of the things that I, that I really don't like seeing is um, a, a company whose stock has fallen, let's say, 20, 30, 40 percent over the course of the year. Mm. And you look at the you look at the, the G&A expenses and on the balance sheet, and you see that they were awarded one hundred and fifty thousand dollar stock option bonus. Um, or even a cash bonus, mm. and and I just think that's wrong. I mean, like, what did they really do for shareholders? Um, and you know, if it's deserved, then that's completely fine, completely fine. But, but how do you quantify that? What, what what does that mean? When if it's deserved, well, it just depends on the company. Like, if you know, if if let's say uh, the head geologist received a bonus and they did something amazing and, and hit some great deposit, like absolutely, right. But if, it, if the CEO has accomplished not a whole lot in the past year and they just got a quarter million dollar bonus that the shareholders paid for because they're not producing any cash. Mm. I mean, it's just, it's it's par for the course in this industry. I'm not saying uranium, just junior mining in general. And <clears throat> it's difficult to avoid really, but uh, you just have to decide whether or not you're okay with that. And the upside potential for the stock itself might be something that you're willing to be diluted in the during the you know in the waiting period before the stock takes off you know so it's not always necessarily just if you're okay with funding the company and for the time being the potential is really what i mean investors are forward looking if you're going to buy something at five cents and you think it's going to a dollar you might not be worried about the dilution but for me i don't i just don't like it's an ethical thing really if they are prepared, directors are prepared to remunerate themselves when the shares go up, but n not going to do anything when it, when it comes back down. Okay, so that, there's discrepancy there, there, for, there for me, okay? Or you just gave an example where they've done some drilling, they've got some great grades, they've increased the size of the resource. And you've seen in the gold sector and you know, a lot of commodities where that, that used to change the dial, it doesn't anymore. No one cares about that because all you're doing is uh, you know, the shares drop because the, the commodity is, you know, experiencing pricing issues, etc. So right. what, 
and we as shareholders make money when our share the shares go up in value, um, not before, but the directors have, you know, through no fault of their own, share, seen the shares fall, um, but they're still picking up, right. a re, you know, some kind of reward for it. I mean, it seems, it seems quite odd. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, couldn't agree more. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. So, I mean, just to, to more clearly answer, how should they be compensated? I mean, that's not necessarily for me to say, but I think if if uh, you know if you can't make a comfortable life out of two hundred thousand dollars a year, then I don't know. You need to explain to shareholders why you need a million um, when you're not producing anything. Yeah, and, and you know, and 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 there's the other thing. You know, when investors, when there's a private placement coming up, there's a prospectus. It's four, five, six hundred pages long prospectus, and no one reads it. Investors coming in don't read it, right? That's what that's what surprises me. You know, we had one recently where the, where a company, a director, you know, they they sold the the company. The company, the price was down two thirds of what it was when they when the private placement happened, and uh, the director got a massive multi million dollar payout, even though the company was a third of the value. And people are going nuts. And you're like, well, it was in the paperwork when you signed it. You knew this could happen. This could actually happen. If you were going to be upset, wow. don't invest. Surely, isn't that, isn't that the attitude to take? Some people might want to just throw money at a company just because they think it's going to go up and not really worry about what's going on behind the scenes. And that's that's okay. I mean, I guess it's just not it's just not for me. I I like to see I like to see management that's financially conservative but hungry and aggressive at the same time with high insider ownership that's my favorite but that's not to say that other companies that are diluting a lot paying themselves a lot producing nothing won't return for shareholders eventually yeah it's just not something i personally like to buy well justin thanks for the chat that was nice to catch up. I think we're going to do yeah. this more regularly, right? We're going to we're going to sort of to. Uh, ho- hopefully people find it marginally interesting or learn the the, the odd thing or two. We maybe get some suggestions about topics we can talk about. But I've I've, I've learned a couple of things on this call. Same um, here. Yeah. You. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. So um, we should do this again soon, right? I would like that. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.